I love this tune. Okay, you know what time it is. It's time to say, wow, you guys are so cool to our Patreon supporters of Smashing Security. This week's shout out goes to Hans Abakin, Gary Porter, Timothy Zimmerman, Ella Goss Endenflame, Alex Tasker, Delaney Scarangella, Sean Dyer, Hiroki Burke, Henry Walshaw, and Nate East. Nate Estes. Nate Estes. That's gotta be it. If you want your name destroyed by me, please join us on our Patreon community. You can find out all the info you need at www.smashingsecurity.com forward slash Patreon. Now let's get this show on the road. Some have hardware, such as smartwatches and fitness monitors, that will detect changes in pulse and temperature of the testee. Not the testes. The testee. <laughs> Welcome to the Filthy Double Entendre Podcast. Uh, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 203, Testing Times, Naming Names, and The Bald Truth About AI, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 203. My name's Graham Cluley. My name's Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week by a fellow podcaster. It is the star, I think it'd be fair to say, of the host unknown podcast, well... Tom Langford. Hello, I think it would be very fair to say that. Hello, how are you? Hi, Javad. Hi, Andy. Hi, Tom. Oh, at least you remembered Andy's name. I, I know Graham can't. But... <laughs> what are you talking about? He Tom? just calls him that other fella. <laughs> Never. Now, um, talking about things we're not going to mention, Yeah. Um, let's not talk about it, okay? Yeah, let's just shut up about it. Yeah. About the Host Unknown podcast? No, no, nope. no. We're not going to... Just other stuff. Just We're shut just up. not going to talk about something, all right? Whole episode, please. Do you agree? Everyone yep. all right with that? I think actually if anyone brings it up, it's a fiver in the charity pot. But but we're not allowed to know what it is. Just be careful. Not- it's like it's it's like I a- think if you think about it, Tom, you'll be able to work out what we're talking about. Oh. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> Crow, what's coming up on the show this week? First, let's thank this week's sponsors, Crawl, LastPass, and Mimecast. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham gives us an education on how vulnerabilities are named. Tom gets all sporty on our geeky asses. And I learn why students have their knickers in a twist. Plus, we have the much-awaited second half of our featured interview with Dahlia Hamse, the Security Engagement Manager at LogMeIn, the makers of LastPass. All this and much more on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I think it is time for a quiz Woo! here on the Smashing oh, Security Podcast. Oh, I love podcast. a quiz because I'm in such a good mood today and I'm so calm and happy. I'm really looking forward to a quiz. We are, we are going to play a little vulnerability naming game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to each of you, Carol and Tom. I'm going to go each of you in turn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to name a vulnerability, and you have to tell me whether it is a real vulnerability or whether it's a made-up 
vulnerability. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What? What's the your... rules are shit. What are, what are the rules? How do we know? Yeah, and also, does it include zero days? Because we don't know, because well, zero day. <laughs> exactly. The judge's decision is final. I will name it. You would either tell me, yes, it's a real vulnerability, or you'll but say- But it could be a real vulnerability in the future. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. Oh, what? So you just mean right now? Is I love real the tiny wine stuff here. Yeah. You know what? You're not doing yourself any favours at all in terms of scoring points, Crow. So actually, Crow, you're going to oh, go oh, first. Oh, oh, oh I see how first. this works now. Let's not play fair because someone's mouthy. Interesting. So, Crow, let's play the vulnerability name game. Crow, meltdown, meltdown. Ah, uh, yes, real? yes, yes. That's real. Defo. Correct. It Yay. is real. Hey. Where did you get your jingles from and your little sound effects? That's amazing. Yeah, we're going to have to start doing them with our mouths, Graham, so he doesn't steal them. <laughs> we're going to have to write them a cease and desist letter. So just to explain to any listeners who possibly haven't heard Tom's podcast, which will probably be about 99.9% of you. Quite a few of you, <laughs> in fairness, given the scale of your listenership. I mean, it's not as good as Sticky Pickles, but it's pretty good. Is everyone here just to plug their podcast? It's, is it's that about going- one-sixth as good as Sticky Pickles as we established already it would seem. tom langford's host unknown <laughs> podcast as i believe is its official name yes uh, seems to have acquired the theme music of smashing security and it uses it as a jingle outrageous copying slightly munged slightly scratch version can i play it this week in infosec that is a total ripoff Ow. right guys Outrageous. You know what? I say listeners do not listen to Host Unknown until they get a bit of originality and change it up a bit. And then maybe we'll recommend you. Do you, do you know whose voice that is? Whose? That's my son's. Because oh. he made the jingle. I just said, Oh, here, try something. A family business then of... Family of crime. Hmm. Can we get back to my quiz? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I already won. Crow, meltdown. Yes, that's yeah. the first yeah, question. Yeah, it was okay, a quiz of one that. question. Oh. Tom, <laughs> Tom, yes. your turn. Filthy Python. Filthy Python. <laughs> Sorry, which game are we playing again? <laughs> Filthy Python. Uh, I don't think it's a virus, but it could well be the... the um... Okay, just to explain, this is the vulnerability name game. It's not the Sorry, malware name game. It surely is yes okay. or no answer, Tom. Okay, No. <laughs> I'm afraid it is a vulnerability. Carole, Heartbleed, Heartbleed. Yes. Oh, we know. Correct. Uh, Tom, Ghost. Ghost is Ghost a Uh, vulnerability? Correct. Carole, Dirty Cow. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Dirty Cow. Wow. Uh, No. Dirty Cow is a vulnerability. And finally... Canny lump sucker. Canny lump sucker. I just say Tom. go yes because <laughs> or is he fucking with you in the last if, one? I don't exactly. know, Tom. <laughs> if if it isn't, it should be. I reckon it's we're gonna hear about this in the next few weeks, but no. What? Oh, it, I'm afraid that is a genuine vulnerability. Canny, canny lump, lump sucker. The canny lump lump sucker. Is that is that a word for for you know? I reckon that's a Scottish vulnerability. Sorry, Graham, am I being naive? Uh, is the word lump sucker mean what oh, it might? Okay, hang on. Urban Dictionary. <laughs> oh, you don't know either. Okay, it's not like a known term that I don't know. A lump sucker. It's a type of fish, apparently. Oh. A, a sucker fish. Anyway, I think, Crow, you won that game, didn't you? I think the chap from Host Unknown failed to win that game. Yeah. Mine were a little bit easy, though, Clue. Come on. They were. It was yeah, deliberately I'm, engineered I'm, that way. I'm an ex-CISO. Come on. The truth is, most of us 
find it much easier to remember a name like Filthy Python or Meltdown or Spectre than CVE 2017-5753. So normally, vulnerabilities have a really nerdy numeric name. But if you have a memorable name and maybe even a logo, that can help in communication of an exploit and get people's attention and maybe help them to fix the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a domain name service for vulnerabilities. That's right. So with DNS, you enter you know, a website, smashingsecurity.com, and it takes you to the IP address. Yeah. And uh, works works really well. Friendly name to unfriendly name and yeah. vice versa. And so we, we have that system as well for vulnerabilities. We have it for hurricanes. We have it for all manner of things, right? But if a vulnerability doesn't have as cool a name, it might get overlooked. And that's I don't potentially think it has to do with coolness. I just think it okay. has to do with memorability. Well, all a right. name and a logo. If it doesn't have a logo, the board isn't interested. A logo matters as well, yeah. But sometimes, Carol, you can have a really, well, I don't know if it memorable is the right word, but you can have a name which really stands out, and yet it is still often overlooked. Have you, for instance, heard of a vulnerability which is actually unpronounceable? I think they've called it Thrangy Cat, but the way in which it's actually displayed is three emojis of a cat. So the name of it... <laughs> With this written down, these researchers found a vulnerability in some Cisco gear. Okay. The name they assigned it was an emoji of a cat three times in a row, a cat's face. Okay. And and what was it in the metadata? Like, what do they call it in file terms, in in actual letters and numbers? I think it's just like a cat face. It's like three cat what, face. So what, they did like ASCII art? The ASCII text. No, it's not ASCII art. It's, a, it's actually... No, I know. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But you somewhere you have to actually name it. In the metadata, you're naming it. It's not just an emoji in the metadata, no, right? That, 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 they, are giving, they are giving it the name of three emoji characters. Three cool cats. Three cool cats. And That's what I'm calling it. this is why information security has a problem. Talk about trying to make it as unapproachable and not understandable as possible. You know, that doesn't help anybody. Well, there's an example of a ridiculous name which has been chosen in the past. And this problem of naming doesn't just apply to vulnerabilities. Some of us here, I I think, Tom, you're quite old, aren't you? Yeah, not as old as you, but yeah. Well, you look it. Um, Some of us (laughs) remember... Just because I don't have all my own hair on (laughs) week stand. In those early days... We would often name viruses by the place where they were discovered. So the stoned virus was also called New Zealand because it first popped up in New Zealand. <laughs> Not because they're all marijuana users. <laughs> well, it said your PC is now stoned when you booted up. What was it you used once in one of the shows? A jazz cigarette. A jazz cigarette. <laughs> I loved that so much. The ping pong <laughs> virus was called the Italian virus. And at other times, uh, a virus would be named after the day in which it triggered. So the Jerusalem virus, for instance first seen in Jerusalem, but it triggered on Friday the 13th. It would delete your files on that particular date. We remember all those names. Yeah, Michelangelo, March 6th. Yeah, exactly. But that, you see, Kroll, didn't scale. It didn't scale because you run out of places. Otherwise, you start calling it the Sirencester virus or the Basingstoke virus. or you know, Slough virus. Plus, of course, you can get a virus which is discovered in more than one geographic location at the same time. So it's just not a well, You could have a virus that's twinned with cities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're obfuscating that whole problem where different companies are analysing a new virus at the same time and they both decide they name it uniquely and then they both push it out around the same time and both sit there fighting going, no, this is my virus name, no, no, my virus name. And then 
we grew up in the situation where all the time it was like virus known by this company as this, this company called it this, this company called it that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we still see to this day, those sort of arguments going on. And there are disagreements sometimes about the name of, for instance, hacking gang. So for instance, the porn storm, uh, not that kind of porn, uh, Tom, the porn storm hacking gang, also known as APT 28, also known as fancy bear, also called strontium. So many different names. And there's no real agreement on what they should be called. So naming can be really, really complicated. So even amongst themselves, they can't decide what they're called. What, the gang? Yeah. <laughs> so surely they can just say, no, you're all wrong. We're, we're, we're called Dave or something like that. They seat. should really put a message inside their malware, making yeah. very clear what they want to be called. Exactly. But then you don't want to give them that pleasure either. You kind of want to frustrate them a little bit, I think. That's the problem with these you know, socio-anarchic collective groups. And sometimes, because now, of course, we see so much more malware, there's a lot less thought given sometimes into the name of the malware. So to give an example from, oh, I don't know, 20-odd years ago, we saw the Anna Kornikova virus, but antivirus products didn't call it Anna Kornikova. Sophos, for instance, called it VBS slash SST dash A. Really catchy name. Thank you to the guys in the labs for that one. It helped us. God, you're a dick. Them. Why would they what do you mean I'm a dick? What do you mean? You're still what? calling people out. No, I just... <laughs> no, it's just, it's just like, get over it. I remember at the time, I worked with you at the time, and you were all got your knickers in a whole twist about the naming and couldn't un- people understand your media brain. And it's just like, you know, no. So maybe naming matters even more with vulnerabilities and exploits than it does with malware. Someone who certainly isn't happy about what's happening in the security research community regarding the naming of vulnerabilities is a chap called Lee Metcalf at the CERT Cybersecurity Division of Carnegie Mellon University. He has written a blog post, which I will link to in the show notes, where he says sensational names are often the tool of the discoverers to create more visibility for their work. Absolutely true, right? They're doing it to get attention. But he says he wants to reduce any fear, uncertainty and doubt, any FUD, being caused by the vendor's research and to the general public. So how is he going to do it? Because he does recognise that the use of these numbers, CVE numbers, doesn't really work. I I don't, uh, yeah, hmm? I don't know. I have a lot of issues with this. I don't, I don't like the idea that we have to give sensational names to threats like this in order to get notoriety. Surely what they do and how they spread is way more important. But like, like, Something should have a CVE name, right? That's an important thing to have, like a kind of scientific backbone. And then what you're arguing for is a nickname that people can use in the press. When you go gardening, Carol, do you refer to everything by its Latin name or do you refer... I'm not a big gardener, Graham. What about animals? The red ones. Yes, I call them by... Yes, I call them by the real names, the animals. Dog. You you mean (laughs) the Latin name? Yeah. Yes. Why? What does Latin have to do with well, this? Well, no, I'm just saying that is the equivalent to the CVE no, in not. a way, isn't it? It is. That's his p- proper genealogical name. You're just using... So when you look at your husband, do you call him John or do you call him Wookius Emperus or whatever well, that he might be, for instance? <laughs> it depends if it's his birthday or not. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I actually call him, ironically? My nickname for him is Man. Man. <laughs> I, for real. And my, it turns out, it turns out, my grandmother used to call her husband Man as well. Literally. So there you go. Please tell me that his for you is something like Snooky Dumpling or something like that. Uh, no, it's uh, much cooler than that, actually. It's a woman! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woman. Actually, it's beauty, so put that in your pipe, Tom. So I don't think, Carol, I don't think you're going to get the Daily Mail 
Or indeed, maybe some IT about the pub- Daily Mail. or maybe some <laughs> IT publication saying, "Oh, watch out for CVE twenty nineteen dash one three four two Every you know. single freaking first Tuesday of the month, that's exactly what comes out from Microsoft in order to get vulnerabilities updated. Well, it's not very helpful, is it, when you're in a meeting with the boss and they're trying to get their head around which one is important and which one isn't. No, I'm okay with, I'm I'm totally fine with the idea of let's slap a nickname on one that Good. we are in. But I just think we should not, it's not about naming. The, there is a naming convention amongst everyone of what these things are and how we detect them. Well, if you, you let agree, me, let, let's just move on to what oh, Lee Metcalf has You brought done. it up. I, I just he want to has- say, <laughs> welcome everybody to the Violently Agreeing podcast. Yeah, well. <laughs> right so this researcher has created a twitter bot and what the twitter bot does is every time there is a new cve come out a new vulnerability announced with some numeric number which we'll never ever remember the twitter bot automagically assigns it a random name constructed out of an adjective and a noun and so he's given it names. So if you if it was one which you wanted to refer to, there is then a name which is independent of the marketing department. I think this is fucking disgusting. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you why. Why? Because his names have absolutely nothing to do with the payload or what's Good. involved in it. And you know what? That is something that researchers, whilst maybe some have not been successful in their naming conventions, have tried to allude to is like ping pong. Right? The virus we know is ping pong. Yes. It played has... ping pong on your screen. Exactly. I don't think shapeless screwdriver is giving me any indication <laughs> of what the vulnerability might do. Suggestive bunny? Yep. Yeah. Unmarked slap tickle? One of those? I think that be I think he's Did been you quite... come up with these. No. That last one just sounds like a hobby. These. Why is he giving them all of a little sexual nuance? No, these are just the ones I've picked out. Oh, of course. I've picked okay. out from the list. <laughs> these are the ones which caught my eye. So they are trying to avoid offensive words and anything that sounds too suggestive or scary. See, it's very difficult, isn't it, working out if a name is suggestive or, or offensive or not? Because there were a couple. There was, for instance, Headed Bottom. Is that is that filthy? Headed Bottom? Oh, no. Beef Curtains? What do you think? Canny Lump Sucker. That was one of his. And Filthy Uh, Python. Those names were created by the bot for real vulnerabilities. And there's also one which the register spotted, which is Perceptive Ejaculate. Uh, Which, yeah. I don't know what that even means. (laughs) What does it mean? Explain it to me. As as an owner of ejaculate. As opposed to accurate ejaculate or (laughs) non-perceptive ejaculate. Random ejaculate? I don't know. Anyway, I think maybe it's a better idea if a bot is in control of naming these things than marketing departments, because maybe that makes it's it a more level playing It's not marketing departments. Field. I just think you're just smoking the wacky-backy. What do you mean it's not marketing departments? It's not marketing departments that name these things. Of course it, it is. is. It's researchers that name it. No, and then it... no, no. They find the vulnerability and then they need people to work on the logo. You don't think the logo is done by the guys. I didn't talk about the logo. I talked about the name. The marketing department are going to have a big say in this. They go hands in hands, definitely. They're not going to leave it to the guys in the labs. It, it does remind me of that Dilbert cartoon where they're trying to get a, a project name 
I'm, I'm with the lab boys. I just want everyone to know that. I'm with the lab boys on this. They're the ones who do the work. They're the ones who write the CV, and they should call it whatever they want. And I don't think a Twitter bot would help. The only thing I wish is the industry would just agree on a name, right? Wow. <laughs> Seems to have touched a bit of a nerve with you there, haven't we? Well, just, I'm just a little embarrassed being associated with you right now. <laughs> Are you going on the Host Unknown podcast this week? If you want to know about embarrassment. I'm just annoyed. You know what today is? We're not allowed to talk about it. All right. Well, let's move on then. Anyway, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You should go and check out, I believe, the bot, because I think it's quite interesting. Its name yeah. is, I'm going to try and say it, Volunim. Volunim. My God. <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan and then Volunim. That's a good name. That's hilarious. That The irony of its name proves my point. Volunim. Tom, what have you got for us this week? Uh, hopefully something a little shorter and a little less... Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> ...disruptive, to be honest with you. Um, so AI is everywhere, as we know, artificial intelligence. Everybody's saying that their product, certainly in the security spaces, uh, that their product is powered by AI and yes. how wonderful it is and all that sort of thing. Powered. Um, I think that word should go on business bingo cards, don't oh, you Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. AI, machine learning, yeah. blockchain. Absolutely. Yeah. Powered. The view I take on AI is that it's very simple, and you can tell the difference between AI and machine learning. And so the machine learning is written in Python, um, <laughs> you know, or any other kind of you know programming language or whatever, whereas um, AI <laughs> can, is only written in PowerPoint at the end of the day. <laughs> Because it doesn't really exist. I know. Um, I've, I, seen, yeah. I've seen enough science fiction to know that it doesn't exist. And also then people start talking about how, you know, our robot overlords are going to take over the world, etc. And uh, and if they do, by the way, I for one welcome our robot overlords <laughs> and look forward to serving them uh, very, uh, very well. But... Um, Have you ever kicked a vacuum cleaner? I hope not. <laughs> God, no. I, I named my vacuum cleaner. What'd you name her? Juan. What? Juan the Hoover. What? <laughs> um, it's one of those little robot ones that pops around. So you know, um, you've got a hang on a moment. Hang on a moment. You've yeah. got you've got a robot vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Why? I can't be asked to um, vacuum myself. Do, do you not have leads and things and cables and? I'm a very tidy leads and cable. Are you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have to come round one day. No, I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's you off the fucking list. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so AI. Please keep on the topic, Tom. Don't get yeah, distracted. Yeah, oh, um, but then I, I saw this article and it had a little video on it and it's of a football match of which I would normally not go near with a barge pole. But the cameras, and I didn't know this, but the, the, the cameras on many of these are no longer controlled by humans. They're controlled by computers that track really? the movement of the ball. Of course. Yeah, which makes Even sense. You know, if it's a very fast-moving game, etc., yeah. you can probably get more accurate. Except in this particular game, the linesman, Hmm. Uh, who I understand was devilishly handsome, but also had a bald head. And uh, this particular camera got a little confused and was just following the linesman up and down the line, completely missing all of the action of the football being kicked up. Oh, my God. I really hope your story is that their reply to this was that their AI malfunctioned. I I don't know if we got that far, but the (laughs) alternative, however, is 
maybe AI is absolutely real, and in this particular case has got the hots for a bald linesman. <laughs> Don't know. But I thought that perfectly summed up AI to my mind in that it's not AI at all. It's just a little bit of machine learning that's found that a bright, small, round, shiny object is what it needs to follow. And so the back of a bald linesman's head seemed to be the right thing. Tom, and, is, is it possible you've brought this story to our podcast today because you are yourself the owner of a bright, round... <laughs> a beautifully <laughs> polished pate. I think it's called pate, actually. No, that's what you eat. <laughs> So uh, basically you're saying it's all a load of rubbish and this is the demonstration of this. Yes, at the moment. I t- totally. Says it's, the man with the robot vacuum cleaner. So. It's as dumb as ditch water, but it does the job. It just goes round and round randomly. It, it doesn't map anything. It bumps into stuff and then sort of tries to go round it. It's effective because it runs for an hour a day, seven days a week. and so. How often it, do you talk to it? <laughs> every time it comes out, you know. Hey, Juan. What you doing, Juan? Off to work, Juan. <laughs> well, Carol, from that story of AR disaster, what yeah, have you really got Yeah, really Thanks, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Giving us a lot to think about. Well, I thought, you know, popular, sh- popular uh, news show like this. Your time's up now, Tom. Stop trying to defend it. We've moved on. <laughs> so, uh, time to come clean, boys. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're both old. Mm. You both must have cheated in your lives at some point. I mean, at school. I mean, at school. I don't want to know any details otherwise. Come on. How did you do it? I seem to remember I wrote a whole load of quotes from Chaucer down on a tiny, tiny piece of paper. Because I just thought... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiny, tiny writing. Tiny, tiny writing. Because I just thought this should not be a memory test of remembering Middle English Chaucer. I thought, that is unfair. Did you then forget that it was a maths exam? (laughs) <laughs> Tom, come on uh, I'm trying to remember I, I I do recall that for a section of my degree I think I copied 9 out of 13 essays From someone wow. else Wow Only a small section in case anybody wants to take it away after <laughs> I, I, I didn't enjoy my degree I used to write my answer Same as you, Graham Tiny, tiny writing But yep. I would write it in pen On my eraser Oh, and then you could rub it out. Right. I always had a ginormous eraser. Not like a ginormous, ginormous, like palm sized, no. but like, you know. And then if a teacher approached, I'd frankly erase an answer that I was confident on, erasing the pen. Wow. Very good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Tom, you didn't do that when you were at the University of Kent studying industrial relations, <laughs> personal management with computing. Is that between 1990 and 1993? Yeah, certainly not. <laughs> or when you were the chairman of the University of Kent Taekwondo See, that, Society. That, that, that was the part of um, of the university life that I enjoyed and why I got a third-class degree. Because all I did was taekwondo five, six days a week. I'm just saying that if anyone from Kent wants to investigate Tom and his yep. degree, all the information, I found it up on LinkedIn in real time. At least he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page, Graham. Has Graham got his own Wikipedia page? Yes! Claims he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I didn't create it. Oh, yeah, no, no, just a fan. I am so going to join wikipedia so i can do some editing can we get back to me boys can we get back to me i actually did some work on my story tom so if you don't mind i'd like to just (laughs) do a tap dance okay so so all these cheating methods don't work very well if you're an online student sitting an exam from your home the universities have gotten quite excited about the idea of of remote proctoring services so they've gloved up and are ready to take control (laughs) oh for goodness (laughs) You're so bad. 
What? You know what you just did. <laughs> you didn't do anything. You've Graham. made you've made you've made Tom titter. Uh, that's what but I don't you've understand done. how. How did I? What? Well, let's what just move. Okay, if you want to act all innocent, let's carry on. Okay. So, in other words, like this remote proctoring is also called in the UK remote invigilation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this basically allows candidates to take tests or assessments from home, from work, from anywhere, really. And universities love it. And other you know, learning institutions, high schools, et cetera, et cetera, other academia want to jump on the bandwagon. And the point, the whole point is to ensure uh, that the exam goes well. So there's two big components in it. There's one, which is the identity. Are you who you say you are? Mm-hmm. Right. So if Graham was going for his driver's test, I am sure he would love someone else to do it other than him if he wanted to pass. What, if you no, had to redo well, your on, test. What, what's that? What's, hang on a minute. That was a bit of an unnecessary attack. What's wrong with my driving? Whoa. I've passed my driving Are you test. kidding me? Are you seriously <laughs> on air? Are you saying that you think you're a good driver? I think I'm all right. I can pass really? the test. Yeah. Okay. And to our okay. listeners joining us in couples therapy. <laughs> <laughs> we could we could get someone who actually does that professionally and they could actually help us on air. I'd be happy to have air our shit on air. I would have no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we had the air in the shit episode in episode 173, if I remember <laughs> correctly. Back, again, back to me. Jeez. Okay, so there's you want to ensure the integrity of the exam as well. So did you cheat? So are you who you say you are? Did you cheat? Those are two big questions. And there are big companies out there providing these remote proctoring services or AI proctor. Yes, that's their name. Or proctor you or examity are big ones. Now, I want you guys to actually imagine yourselves as students today. I don't know what you'd be wearing. Probably your asses would be out, right? You'd be wearing those jeans with your top bits of your butts out, skinny leg jeans, pointy shoes. I wish. (laughs) I remember those days vaguely. Okay. For the exam begins, you have to install the application so it can check your computer, right? It needs to make sure you've got a mic and a camera or video screen and confirm it has the appropriate settings and access levels. And of course, you have to identify yourself as well. And the way you do this is you hold up your ID to the camera and others demand other identity checks, such as like biometric authentication, including facial recognition. So they take all kinds of little data points on your face and make sure that when you actually sit the exam, they match. Oh, my goodness gracious. Right. And then um, and then now it's the time of the assessment, right? It's time for you guys. You guys are nervous, right? It's time for the exam. And uh, first, we want to make sure you're you, right? So we might ask you to type a short phrase and make sure that your keystrokes can be analyzed compared to previous samples. Make sure check you guys are in. Okay. But you're good, nervous. You're fumbling. You're making mistakes. That's what happens. Yeah, I know, I know. And you know what? I may not have, I may not lock you out at that point as the software, but I might put a little mark, a black mark against you that you don't see. Right. You know, I might be going, hmm, I'm not sure this is the same guy. Mm. Often there's also a human proctor there invigilating as well, right? But they might be invigilating, God knows, they might be invigilating like 300 different students at the same time. So you don't know when they're looking at you or when they're not. Right. Same as, I suppose, a teacher in a class. And this human proctor works in tandem with the software. So um, we're going to call them Proctor Walter. The first thing they're going to do is ask to share your screen and then to display both sides of your driver's license in the webcams view. Proctor Walter will then say, I need to see your desk in workspace, Graham and Tom. Please rotate your webcam 360 degrees so I can see the area around you. What? 
Then they might say, please take a step back and show me the entire desk. Which would be hard with a desktop, wouldn't it? <laughs> please undo a few buttons. Please bend over and pick up this pencil. It, it sounds like a script to a, you know, a sub-dom thing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, there's some... Proctor Walter might insist that you angle a mirror... Oh, yes, sir. Hang ...at on. the areas beneath the ordinary level of webcam viewing. Okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Just to make sure you don't have your phone or your tablet hiding underneath your screen with the answers. Tom, have you, Tom, have you ever angled a, a mirror? A Frequently. Down under? Graham, <laughs> Graham, it's not that sort of show. If you want to talk about that, come on, Sticky Pickles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, then, so then Proctor Walter requests remote access to your computer. Please open your system preferences and click on the lock icon, Proctor Walter says to you. This sounds entirely reasonable. Yes. Of course. Please enter your computer password now. Now, during the test, the cameras record the entire test, and some systems relays video to the human Proctor in real time, who observes your eye movements and other behaviors, <laughs> right, for signs of cheating, and compiles a report after testing for the Proctor to review. So the system puts out, oh, he, looked, he picked his nose and looked left at one point, or he looked at his watch. There's also lockdown mechanisms to make sure that you can't access the web or other apps on your computer, of course. And it gets worse. They even have um, some have hardware, such as smartwatches and fitness monitors, that will detect changes in pulse and temperature of the testee. Well, not the testees. The testee. <laughs> Welcome to the Filthy Double Entendre podcast. <laughs> Uh, and um um, and they'll use of course facial recognition sound recognition keyboard analysis it's just like jesus okay so on a scale one to ten boys how invasive do you think this is that's my question 69 i don't know Shall we play a little game? Can we just go down the what could possibly go wrong oh, in this situation? Oh, Should yeah. we play that game? Go first. Oh, we've got good jingles on this podcast, at least. Um, what What if the proctor... By the way, that word is very funny. What if the proctor... <laughs> proctor. ...was a bit of a perv, and he fancied his young 19-year-old budding student and thought, oh, I'd... I'd quite like to have a rummage around her hard drive somewhere and see if she's got any selfies or, or, or worse, or, you know, take over her webcam some other time when she's not doing a test, mm-hmm. for instance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for something less dirty, what about an unreliable <laughs> internet situation, yeah, right? Where your internet's kind of glitzy. Yes. What if the pupil has an actual detached retina or, or have as an eye issue, which means that one of their eyes is pointing in the wrong direction. And a lazy eye. A lazy eye. And so it appears that they are intentionally looking in a suspicious direction while doing the test. Yeah. Would the AI or the proctologist pick that up? It's not a proctologist. <laughs> okay, what about data breaches? Remember I mentioned this company earlier, Proctor U? Proctor U. <laughs> Proctor Yu disclosed that it was the victim of a major data breach earlier this year. The firm was one of 18 
organizations to have their database containing almost 400 million records stolen by hackers since January. In late July, all these databases that were stolen were offered for free in online hacker forums. Did that include video as well? Well, right. And, you know, think about it. People have to show their passports or their driver's license or their birth certificates or their social insurance numbers to prove they are who they are. Yep. And all this, in all this, there has been this weird twist. In June, a Redditor posted a photo of a chat log on Reddit's University of British Columbia subreddit, okay, claiming that a Proctorio, this is another one of these services, Proctorio support had failed to help him with an online UBC test. So he basically was saying, like, I tried, I tried to get some help, they didn't respond, I was left on my own, poor me. And the thread got some sympathy online. Until... The Proctorio CEO, Mike Olson, under username Artful Hacker, provided his own response to the student live on Reddit. Okay. And he goes, quote, if you're going to lie, bro, don't do it when the company clearly has an entire transcript of the conversation. Shame on you. And then he posted an edited transcript of the chat logs. Which kind of confirmed that the student was kind of a little bit full of shit that they did actually respond with him. So he was basically calling out saying you're a bit of a liar. But in putting out all this whole transcript, people started going WTF, right? What else have you got and who's got access to it? Exactly. Ian Linkletter, he's a UBC learning technology specialist. He was particularly outspoken on this whole scenario. On August 25th, he criticized the company Proctorio, for including the room scan feature in an instructional video that Proctorio has since removed. So basically, inside their software, you can get a three, you get a panorama room scan. You can. What? So- this is just insane. This is why, why on earth do they need to do that? I mean, I understand why on earth they need to do that. <laughs> but, but, but really, I mean, for goodness sake. Um, so, uh, so this guy, Ian Linkletter, right? He, uh, he gets really pissed off and he says, this is an unlisted video from Proctorio's YouTube channel about display room scan. And he says, display room scan allows you to click and drag through a panorama of a student's personal home. So you can click the and drag fuck? through it. It's just insane. And he goes and he says, I'm agitated tonight because the CEO of Proctorio attacked a student in my university subreddit, calling them a liar and posting their chat support logs. Unacceptable behavior. So then the CEO freaks out, backtracks, deletes the transcripts and reiterates that all user information has been anonymized in his transcript and writing that at we at Proctorio take privacy very seriously. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) So a spokesperson for Proctorio wrote in a statement, Trust is the sum of repeated actions. We will strive to improve upon the support we offer every day. We commit to doing everything we can from our support team to our CEO to continuously show how much we value the trust of students, professors, and administrators. So no apology there. But the student, you know, the student at first who said, uh, you know, I didn't get any help and, you know, fuck this. He came forward and is now super shamefaced saying, I just like to say that my post about proctorio support, which was just supposed to be for comedic purposes, was extremely misleading. I sincerely apologize for that as it was truly immature. Well, newsflash, there's trolls on the internet. I know, but good that he apologized. Like, you know how rare that is? It's so rare. So I, you know, I know he fucked up, but he's owning it. So good for him. That's true. I think it's important when students 
make a mistake or, you know, f- for them to come clean, however many years later it might be, Tom. Um, I think it's, it's so. Graham, time. did you go to university? It's good to. You, you mean you mean twenty seven in my case? <laughs> it's 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 a good thing just to own yeah. up to what you've done. No, nine essays, wasn't it? Yeah, nine yeah, essays. something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So, so just to to wrap us all up, because mm. of these kind of fiascos with the CEO who actually added fuel to the fire, there are students now rebelling against this eye tracking exam surveillance tool. Good stuff. I agree. I say they should make noise. So they have online petitions and they're being really vocal about the invasiveness in the media. Um, and we are seeing traction. Some universities have started declaring that they will not employ remote proctoring service due to privacy concerns, like University of Calgary. Uh, the student union president posted three days ago on Reddit saying, hi, everyone, my name is Frank, and I'm your SU president. I'm very happy to let you all know that we will not be proctoring for winter 2021. So at least he's got it for that time. My colleagues and I have fought hard against this since the summer, and this is one of my many hills to die on. So students are making a difference. I say keep it up. And if your university hasn't stopped using these services, maybe you could do something like wear really dark sunglasses when you're doing your test. Mirrored Mirrored sunglasses. sunglasses. (laughs) So they can see your screen. Maybe that should be a rule. They can't see what you're looking at. (laughs) Today's show is sponsored by Mimecast, the number one cloud email security solution for Microsoft 365. Safeguard your organization with Mimecast's end-to-end vision, impersonation and brand exploit protection service, a layer of email security defense that picks up where Microsoft security leaves off. Microsoft's innovative service blocks brand attacks before they can launch, stops live cyber attacks in their tracks, and gives you visibility into anyone using your domain without your permission. Start today by downloading a free copy of the State of Email Security Report at smashingsecurity.com slash Mimecast. And thanks to Mimecast for supporting the podcast. What would happen if there was a fire in your building? Probably an alarm alerts you to the danger. Emergency operators get you connected so you get help, and firefighters snap into action to put out the flames. When it comes to crawl responder, it's the alarm, the operator, and the fire department all rolled into one. You see, crawl responder merges hunting, detection, containment, and remediation to deliver best-in-class endpoint security. Crawl responds to over 2,000 cyber incidents every year and is uniquely positioned to bring that capability and expertise 24-7 with Responder. See how Responder works at smashingsecurity.com forward slash crawl. Spelled K-R-O-L-L. You know, I kind of like your name. It's good. It's a really good name. This episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by LastPass. Now, everyone knows about LastPass's password manager for end users, but it's also a great solution for businesses. In fact, tens of thousands of companies rely upon LastPass to protect themselves. LastPass Enterprise simplifies password management for companies of all sizes and helps you secure your workforce. So whatever the size of your business, go and check it out. Go and visit lastpass.com slash smashing to find out more. And thanks to LastPass for supporting the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show? The part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. 
And my pick of the week this week is not security related, but it is technology related. Unsurprisingly, a lot of our picks of the week are. Have you ever wanted to boot up your computer, but not had any electricity to power it up, not had a battery pack? Imagine you are in the middle of a field Mm -hmm. and you want to turn on your device, but you haven't got any battery, you haven't got any power. I use my solar what battery. are you going to do? Well, no, you don't have a solar battery of any kind. We, of we only sol- have the one thing that Graham's about to talk about. Okay. Okay. Potatoes. Yes, potatoes well, can be batteries. That's, That's right. an awful oh, lot potatoes. of them for a laptop. Though. Yeah, it's going to be a field worth. Well, <laughs> history has been made by a YouTuber called Equalo, and Equalo has made a video... Because he was curious, he thought, I wonder if I could power a Raspberry Pi Zero to play Doom only powered by potatoes. Okay, you know what the question is that we want to know. What's that? How many potatoes? He wired up a massive array of hundreds of potatoes, which then proceeded to rot in his garage over the course of about six days with help from his wife and a friend. They worked on this project for about a month or so, working out how to do it. And they set up all these potatoes. They sliced them up. They wired them up. They plugged them into the Raspberry Pi. They had Doom installed on the Raspberry Pi. They plugged it in and it failed. It didn't work. Because there was not enough energy. Well, he'd been measuring the energy, but there wasn't quite enough to drive it to the monitor. And so then as a last gasp, he thought, what about my Texas Instruments graphing calculator, which doesn't need quite so much power but believe it or not his texas instruments calculator can actually run doom someone has ported doom onto his calculator so he plugged these hundreds of rotting stinking potatoes into his calculator and well let's just put it this way there was a happy ending but i would encourage you to go and watch the video of a man doing a pointless pursuit uh, which he later regretted because of the stench of the rotten potatoes, which went all mouldy. But uh, I, I was, I was, I was impressed by it. Yeah, I was this impressed is the kind of thing you want to rope do? Other people. This is the kind of thing I don't want to do, but the kind of thing I want to watch other people doing with their raspberry pies. Uh, and uh, good for him, I thought. So that was my pick of the week. Okay. Do you know there's starving kids in the world who would, you know. Just be desperate for those potatoes. Love to play Doom. Yeah. Do you know, yeah, there's this artist, right? There's this artist, this modern artist, who basically took a banana, tapped it to a wall with duct tape, literally, like a ripped off duct tape from their mouth, right? And put the banana on the wall, and that was their art. And it went for a ginormous amount of money. And what you got as the purchaser of this artwork was the manual, which is how to replace, you have to replace the banana every two days, otherwise it rots. <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> it's about as interesting. Yep, this is this is educational. It, no, it's more desperation at the people who would have bought that. I don't know. I think it says a lot about the art world. I always have wanted to be a modern artist. I, I always <laughs> thought that would be the ultimate scam to be a modern artist. You might want to start doing some art then. Well, you settle for piss artist in the end. <laughs> he certainly did. <laughs> right. Tom, what's your pick of the week? <laughs> Hopefully something a little bit more useful than a shed full of potatoes. Rotting potatoes. Rotting potatoes, yes, indeed. Actually, that would make a good vulnerability name, wouldn't it? Rotting potatoes. Yeah. There yep, we'll you go. It. 
No, no, you can't. You have to, the machine has to get it. Uh, so you can't use it. Maybe they'll come up with it one yeah, day, Tom. Absolutely. You, we don't want your suggestion. <laughs> uh, Raspberry Pi, you mentioned that, the Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, yes. We're now on the Raspberry Pi 4, which I think has, is it two or three different variants with different amounts of memory in it? Uh, the Raspberry mm. Pi, very accessible, small, powerful, small computer. Uh, ve- very useful in schools, etc., because they're very cheap. So, you know, the mm. mid range Raspberry Pi 4 goes for only about £40 or so. Um, very useful. And in fact, I've basically had, got a hobby now of buying Raspberry Pis and then finding something to do with them. So, which is great. So I've got, I think, four running various things in the house at the moment. What do you have them doing, Tom? I've got a Plex server. I've got a home bridge. I've got a magic mirror. And I'm just working on a pie hole, which is an advertising, oh, yes. you know, um, online advertising sort of sync. It's like an ad blocker, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it's 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 really interesting. I, I actually have no idea what I'm doing. You know, my type of coding is to copy and paste from stuff, which... Actually, I've hmm. been reliably informed is a lot like everybody else's coding, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the beauty of the Raspberry Pi is that there are so many different add-ons, both you know, both from a hardware perspective and uh, you know, as well as what you can do with your software. But my pick of the week is they have just released the Raspberry Pi 400, which is um, this is the Raspberry Pi Foundation, which is a Raspberry Pi 4 slight upgrade, uh, faster processor. Uh, but it is built into the Raspberry Pi keyboard. So you can buy, you know, the keyboard and mouse to go with this Raspberry Pi. Yep. The Raspberry Pi itself is now built wholly into the keyboard. And this is it so is cool. very cool. It comes with a mouse yep. as well and um, a uh, an HDMI cable. So all you need is a monitor. And yep. it costs £70. It's amazing. I... I- it's going to sell like hotcakes, it is, this, I think. Absolutely. It's got access to all of the ports on the back. So the GPIO, which is basically an interface port you can plug other stuff in, is all accessible there. And the other pinouts are there. USB, the, the, the um, mini DVI, because you can, you can drive t- uh, twin monitors off it. All within <laughs> the form factor of, frankly, a very smart looking keyboard. It does look very nice. I've watched some videos of this. Was it launched this week, wasn't it? Literally, I th- last couple of days. Yeah. Because I've, I've got the keyboard and mouse, which I use whenever I just now buy a, a, a Pi. I just plug in this keyboard and mouse and plug it into a monitor, etc. And they're good quality. They're basic, but they're good quality. Mm. But if, if the, all of this is within the keyboard as well, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And uh, It looks really nice. It's a bit like – so if any of our older listeners – um, remember things like the ZX Spectrum. Yes, and the um, Spectrum Plus. Yeah, it does look a bit like that. It, it's, a, it's a bit like an old home computer which used to plug into your TV. Obviously, you can put it, plug it into a, either an HDMI TV or, a, or to, into a monitor. And um, I think this would make a great starter computer for people as well, people who just want to first get into computers, kids. Um, and you can still browse the web. You can do documents. You can do pretty much everything I imagine you'd be able to do on a Chromebook. Oh, absolutely. It'd be a lot harder to break, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it, they're very capable machines and very, very flexible. Um, mm. you, if, if, you, if you want 
once it's just out of the box, there's plenty there and you don't have to know any kind of programming or, or anything like that. But you, you'll be able to browse the web and, as you say, get your email, write basic documents, even read, you know, other people's Word documents and stuff. If you want to do fancy stuff with it, you've got to – it's Linux at the end of the day. You know, yeah. you're going to have to spend four days trying to work out how to get the latest web browser from, you know, Firefox installed or whatever. Um you know, I always imagine people, you know, like in the Matrix with the with the dripping green letters. That's basically a Linux admin trying to install a web browser. Um, <laughs> but yes, but there is a great community out there. So if you need advice, massive as to how to do so, someone else will already have asked the question which you have, and you'll yeah, be able to or find have the done answer. it and written a it's guide, and you just copy and paste yeah. into uh, into your uh, console, which is exactly what I do. Tom, I have to say, I think that is an excellent pick of the right, week. Thank you. Well, one out of two this week. You surprised me, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> After the, the dud just we've had just now, you know, from me. <laughs> Carol, what's your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week demands that Tom sit down and has to watch a video. So. Oh, okay. And what I would like is for you guys to watch just the first sketch, okay? okay? And Watching, yep. So I'm oh. going to count you in. Three, two, no, one. Hang on. Oh, hang on. Hang yep, on. yep. Hang on. Tell us when. Okay, get yourselves all ready. Okay, three, two, oh, one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. He's an old man. He can't do things quickly. Three. It takes him a while to rev up. Okay. Two, one, go. go. You've tried to tell me what's going on. Okay, so it's a TV show. He's a bit like an Alan Partridge character. Mm-hmm. He's sort of sat behind a desk talking about Marco Polo. Yeah. But do you think anything's weird about him? Ah, okay. Okay. So this is being filmed. Upside down. <laughs> at an angle. So he, ah, it looks yeah, yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so it's, it's played a trick on, on us back, regarding basically. the perspective. <laughs> it's like the wall is the gravity. Yeah. It is glorious. Okay, so basically, this... You describe this, girl. I know, it's really hard. But, okay, this is Sean uh, Mickleff, okay? He's an Australian comedian, and he was a cast member of sketch comedy show Full Frontal and the Mickleff program. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is one of his many tilted room sketches <laughs> where the camera is fixed to a room that be- can be rotated at will, backwards and forwards or any other directions, without the viewer being able to see so you can just tell by the gravity of how the actor is trying to hold on or fall whilst acting completely normal and it's perfectly wonderful right boys isn't it great yeah yeah it is absolutely it is and in these in these trying times everyone we need a giggle so uh my neighbor sent me this link last week and i watched the whole uh, list of them so this is apparently a full spectrum of all his sketches i put it uh, it's a YouTube link, so it's free to view, and it's silly and unpolitical. So check it out. It's the Tilted Room Sketches by Sean Mickleff. Nice. Like it. In a similar vein, and if you don't mind, I will add it to the show notes as well. There is a show on BBC iPlayer called The Goes Wrong Show, all about a theatre group, which all... Oh, yes! And they are very, very funny. There's been about six episodes of them, but one of them is called 90 Degrees. And I'll put a link in the show I notes. I saw that one. That is hilarious. And it is absolutely hilarious. Brilliant. We have about half an hour with multiple people 
Yep. Um, going through and moving this, from and different room is, to one room to another, yes, which is one a different to orientation to the one behind it, but they're trying to get through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should say this is quite old, what I've got here, right? Yeah. This looks maybe 20 years old, yeah. 30 years old. So right. that would be great to put that link in. Yeah. If only so, that had been my pick of the week. Damn it. Oh, no, no. You Clearly, they stole the entire idea from Sean Mikalev. So ah. good to go back no, to the they, original. They, they stole it from, um, from 2001, A Space Odyssey. That was when it was, yeah, that yeah, was, yes. when it was first done properly. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. That was a lot of fun. And you know what else I think would be a lot of fun right now, Carol? Tell me. Have you possibly got the second half of that featured interview with Dahlia from LastPass? You bet I do, buddy. You bet I do. Listen up, guys. Here's part two with Dahlia Hamze from LastPass. So, Dahlia, we left off our last conversation talking all about IoT and the difficulties managing all those devices. I, I, think, I think it's a really, it's a scary time for everyone right now because IoT is marching at a clip and the people that are creating these, you know, these devices are not like LastPass. They're not security experts. And some of them are doing their due diligence, but lots of them aren't. And that's where it gets really difficult for us, because how do you update a fridge? You know, as you were talking and you're like, these aren't security companies, right? So I was just thinking like, wow, Fit, like Fitbit was just in the news for compromised credentials or, or customer information. And I don't know if everybody would think, I mean, that brings up a good point. Fitbit is not a security company. They're a health company. And of course, all these public, these public companies have regulations they have to follow. And I mean, that's a whole nother topic, Com- like compliance versus actions we're taking to actually reduce human risk. A lot of times, uh, we do things because for compliance reasons and we for our audits they make sense and we want to pass them but is it really reducing the human risk you've got like baby monitors and you've got smart TVs and you've got smart fridges and all these things are connected and i think personally and i know i'm like drink the you know cybersecurity Kool-Aid and i've been doing it for years so of course i would say this but i'm very careful about what new smart tech i put in my house my house is not smart tech free obviously but i i'm very careful about it i'm not one of the early adopters specifically if it's from a manufacturer that doesn't have security credentials or hasn't partnered with someone responsible that has security credentials people like you know my uh, Graham our co-host on the show and he can't actually have a voice right now cuz he's not here <laughs> but he really loves new tech. He loves being an early adopter. And we need early adopters to find the flaws inside um, the tech, right? So I kind of say, leave the early adoption to the big experts that can't resist and really know what they're doing. And then come in, <laughs> come in like around wave two, right? When you're sure that all the things are ironed out. <laughs> yep. You know, here's another good idea for for users at home. And I'm just thinking of this now as you were talking. Yeah, um, we're spitballing here. We're spitballing. Yeah. If you get, let's say you get a Fitbit um, or a new piece of technology, set up a Google alert that alerts you that, hey, there's a, might be a security issue that comes up with one of these different technologies that you adopt. Then you would be aware of it, right? Because you could get an email that says, hey, this new thing that you're doing, we just got word that they were breached. 
Dahlia, I think that is genius. I'm going to repeat it because it's so good. I think on Google, you can set up news alerts, right? And then what she's saying is for all the smart tech in your house, write down the names so that you will get news alerts if the words, for example, security and Fitbit come up, right? Or security in Samsung, if that happens to be your TV, or security in Alexa. And that way you can stay ahead of the curve. Is that is that yeah. a fair way of saying it? I mean, you inspired me, Carol, and then that thought came. So that was really, that was the mutual effort there. And yes, 100%. (laughs) TM Dahlia Husme. I love it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's so much you can do, right? Um, Really, this is like when we go into the never-ending trickle of, um, like, where does it end? But I think, to your point, like, IoT is such a big thing right now. We have to be very, very, you know, cautious and, you know, for our organizations as well. Uh, because we are all, everything is connected. In my experience of, you know, and, and and people in my echo chamber, when I talk to them about like what security goes on in their offices, and these are not secure cybersecurity offices, these would be any other kind of office, retail or anything, doesn't matter. They, when I ask them about cybersecurity, they laugh. And then I say, well, don't you talk to your boss or, you know, and they're like, he doesn't know or she doesn't know anything about cybersecurity. They don't know anything about that. So, so, I'm a big believer in trying to get staff trained on at least the basics on how to keep both the company safe and as well themselves at home. What do you guys, what do you think about that? No matter, you know, what industry you work in, I think everybody should, but I know that's not always realistic. A lot of times training is offered because again, like you're trying to hit a compliance requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like for SOC 2 or for ISO, um, one of these kind of third party uh, regulations that say, hey, we're not giving you a certificate if you don't um, assign training and show us evidence that everyone has taken it. I think that there's two ways to look at security training. Um, one is we have to we have to make it way more sexy than it is today. There's a few people that I think are are leading this space a little bit. Um, I just don't think it's where it needs to be quite yet. All right, for instance, like use a longer password, use a longer password, right? It needs mm-hmm. to be strong and unique for each site. But does that tell the person on the other end of the computer taking this training that, well, why? Like, why does that matter? Like, I, sure. So do you I'll mean do I it. should use 24 A's? <laughs> exactly. Right? What does it mean? And so yeah. I think almost that we need to flip the the narrative when it comes to security training and not necessarily focus. This is going to come out wrong, but I in my mind, it's going to make sense here. Not focus just on the here is your end and behavior that we're looking for you to drive, right? Um, here's actually, let's teach you a little bit about security itself. Because I think that that's where the security training lacks. So like we know about passwords, for instance, how do they get hacked? Well, there's a few ways. One is through uh, password cracking algorithms and, and these fancy software capabilities that these hackers have. And they can go in and guess guess an eight character password in, what is it, like seven seven seconds, some of the really sophisticated ones. And then a third, once you go up to like a 13 or a 16 character password, it can take, you know, if you're not using extremely common dictionary where it can take, I mean, years to crack that. So I think giving people that, um, that background, because then they might be like, oh, shit, wait, am I allowed to swear? I shouldn't. Of course wait. you can swear. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm surprised it took me this long not to swear. Um, but I think like if you give people the context of this eight character password can get breached and, and, and here's how it happens in let's say, you know, a minute versus if you double that, um, I know it seems like a pain in the ass, but that can take years, right? So then giving the people the context of if you get, you know, oh, well, my important stuff, you know, has these passwords. Yeah, but does it share a password? Because if it shares a password, your words with friends account um, was just breached. And guess what? Now your your banking details, you know, they're going to that's the first thing they're going to try. So I think it's important for us to train people on the actual parts of the security and not just the the result or the behavior change we're looking for them. Because I think that's where people kind of ignore security stuff because they don't they don't fully understand it, which brings me back to earlier, where it, you, if you don't understand something, it's not relevant to you. And, you know, you just you just don't care as much. Look, boom, Dahlia has done a full circle and gone right back to the beginning and answered everything. Like, that is slick, Dahlia. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to take the rest of the day off. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'll leave with this. I used to think when I first started in security and I was looking at all these, you know, like our tech partners and all these like guys and ladies that I used to work with. And I was like, God, they're just so smart. And I could never understand that. And I could never, you know, do that. Give your users, your end users or yourself, if you're listening to this as the, as you know, an individual, um, it's not as, it's not as crazy as it seems. Right. So go in and you can learn a little bit. I actually love security now. I think it's fascinating, the world of like breaches and hacks and, um, and it's, it's moving our, our world forward. So you kind of, it's like, you have to keep up with the Jones a little bit. I have to say that, but mm-hmm. like it, it, you're going to be behind it if you don't know much about it. So I would say use resources like sans.org. That's S A N S dot org. They have a ton of free resources, even to keep your kids safe online. Um, you know, just, a whole bunch of free like videos and things like that. You could sign up for some, um, obviously this podcast, you're already listening to that. So we didn't have to tell you to do that. Um, Carol, I don't have to plug you on your own podcast. No, but I'll plug you. Use LastPass for <laughs> home use, right? The, the, one of the biggest important things is keeping unique passwords for every single account. Definitely use LastPass. So LastPass now has a um, security challenge score. And here I am, like nine years into security engagement and awareness. I'm... Rachel and to all my last pass people that are, are listening in here. I mean, I was ashamed at my score. I won't say it out loud, but I was like, wow, I thought I was a rock star. I'll find and out so after you- the show, people. <laughs> She's told I'm totally going to tell her. Um, so you find out that you're actually, when you think you're secure, like let LastPass has that tool to help do it for you, right? So generate those secure passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, the long, the nice long ones. I mean, they can generate a 30 character whatever you want, just put yeah. in a number and complexity requirement. Um, and so I would highly, highly recommend going through, I went through mine, I'd say a few months ago. And I mean, I changed every single password that I had. Um, and I feel because I actually quick story, I was sitting on my couch and got an alert that booking.com has your six digit pin because somebody was trying to uh, access my account. So I said, okay, someone already has my password. This is just the second set of authentication to get in. And then I got another one a few minutes later that uber.com, here is your requested six digit pin code. And I thought, oh shit, um, this is a problem. Somebody is actively, you know, trying to get into anything they can with one of my, my 
uh, compromised password. Oh, so, they were using one. You had the same password for different accounts, and these guys were just trying it across various accounts, probably automatically. So it was just spinning through them. It was, wow. and it was petrifying. Bing, bing, bing. We're trying to access your account. Bing, we're trying to access your account. Oh, my God. Yes. And <laughs> exactly. I don't know if people know that those alerts that you get, everybody, that's because somebody is already in your account. Like, they, they've already they've already guessed your password. So those six-digit codes is the second form. Um, it was petrifying, and I stayed up for hours and changed all of my passwords. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it took a while, right, to do it. But let me tell you, I sleep so much better at night, Carol, knowing that whoever that was, if you're listening, um, you cannot get into my bank account or my credit cards. And so I feel good about that. <laughs> it's like a digital, you know, enema or something. Or yes. digital. <laughs> I felt nice and clean and light and fresh after. It's exactly what I was like. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Our conversation has been amazing. Dahlia, Senior Security Engagement Manager at LogMeIn, the makers behind LastPass. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show and, you know, just speaking frankly about what goes on behind the scenes and what people should do. No, absolutely. And thank you. Thank you so much, Carl, for having me. Uh, This was great. And for everybody at home, take a minute, do some security hygiene cleansing in your life. Get all your stuff secure and and you'll feel good about it through the end of the year. Okay. And one last question. Can you just confirm who you think might be funnier on the show? Is it Graham or is it me? Just checking. I mean, you know, I'm going to say you. (sighs) I have to. Graham, Listen, ladies, ladies unite. You know, I have to stay true to my true to my lady here so uh but graham uh you as well you're funny too he's like a seven <laughs> and i'm not gonna lie like if i was in the pot i don't know i mean i you know i get excited around the people i'm with oh flip flop stopping the recording right now <laughs> That just about wraps it up for this week. Tom, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and maybe find out more about what you're up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, So I'm on Twitter at Tom Langford. That's uh, Tom with an H. Twitter would let me have the H. Or at HostUnknownTV on Twitter, which is also where you can find out about our podcast. Called Host (laughs) Unknown. Called the Host Unknown Podcast, indeed. Uh, and if you want to watch, if you want to listen this week, you might actually get a special guest star. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter and Laos have a G. And we're also active on a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget, if you want to be sure never to miss another episode, subscribe in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Pocket Cuts. Or if you just want to help the show, tell your friends about Smash Insecurity because maybe they'd like it too. Murky buckets for listening to us this week, each week, every week, supporting our work, sharing it with your friends, and of course, high five to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, Crawl, Mimecast, and of course, LastPass. Their support helps us big time give you the show for free. Also, check out SmashingSecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and information on how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ta-ta for now. What a mammoth of an episode that was. That was long. Guys, but hey, you know what? We managed to get through the entire episode without mentioning, uh, you know what? What? Lockdown.
Well, no, not lockdown. Anyway, I'm not falling for that one, Graham. I, I don't want to owe either of you a fiver. Yeah, Graham, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about, Graham? All right, go on, well, Graham. Uh, see you next week then. <laughs>